Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm Claire Beale and today I've got with me Jeremy Lee, my campaign colleague, and we've got Paul Lawson and Jonathan Burley who are um, currently trying to reboot YNR London. I think that's probably the, the way Good to language. say it. Um, we're going to talk about why you guys have decided to go to YNR, uh, where YNR ambitions lie now um and, but i want to start with you jeremy to give us a bit of context um just what has ynr been like over the last few years because i think we've sat at campaign and thought its best days were behind it yeah i mean you don't have to look at our score reports i think this year you got a four which was below average last year was three so an improvement the year before that was two so uh you're bubbling and bumping along the bottom by the look of it i think you're the 16th biggest agency in London by, well, in the UK by Billings. But not by weight. But not by <laughs> weight. So, uh, in short, yeah, there's been, I mean, as you don't need me to tell you that you, there's been a lot of account losses, there's been a lot of change. You guys have come in uh, to reboot, as Claire says. How are you going to do it? Well, agree on the whole sort of falling slightly into disrepair as a brand. I think that what happens is it not when you've got so many management changes. I think that, that's been probably the biggest yeah. factor of all, has it not? There's been yeah. circumstantial stuff around sort of client losses and what have you, which is always a bit of a panic, particularly within a sort of industry that's changing. But the key thing for me is just these multiple management changes. I think I'm probably the fifth or sixth CEO in about the last 10 years, maybe. And, you know, that, that that's a lot for individuals sort of setting up new agendas and trying to sort of reboot an organisation and sort of co- coerce it uh, into sort of a, a new way of thinking and being so, I think that's been it's been tough for them. But the trend is our friend, is it not going from a two to a three to a four? Give us what's ten not, years. What's not to like? My God, we're going to be Although we might well have peaked. So if we if I deliver the three, I think David Patton will have something to say about it. But again, I think it's in me to deliver a three or possibly a two. So let's see how that goes. At episode number two a year from now, shall we? So I was going to say, yeah, as you say, there's been a number of CEOs. You're the latest in this long line. Why? The incumbent. Exactly. Why won't you, um, what's going to be different? Why aren't you going to be the next full guy for the next account loss like everyone else before you? I think we probably lost all the accounts we could have lost. So there's very little that I can actually influence uh, right now. So for me, all good. And, you know, just to be sort of slightly serious about it, we've got a nice foundation of clients. We've got the twoies of this world. We're back on the government roster with DFT. We work with Premier League, which is really interesting. We've just launched Viagra over the counter, which is a big sort of cultural event. We're working with a brand new sort of private bank, a Swiss bank called Lombard Odeo. So there's lots of interesting things going on. So there's already some bubbling momentum. But again, I think, you know, the way David Patton sort of uh, put it to me when he first interviewed me 18 months ago, probably now, we first started chatting was... This is all about you taking you know, your 30-odd, 33 years, in fact, I've been in the business, years of experience, and just applying it to a really new and interesting challenge. And I think there's a lot of experience I bring to the table, which is a sort of splicing and an understanding of how a classic creative agency you know, needs to work and then needs to update itself into a new marketing sort of landscape. So, OK, so we can see why YNR might need you. Why on earth do you need YNR, though? What, was, uh, what attracted you to that job? It was genuinely... The, the change money. management money. challenge wasn't the money actually because uh, no, I'm actually that's a strong question <laughs> yeah <laughs> money yeah. Was it yes. if it was how come I haven't got the same <laughs> yeah yeah and, and anyway I'm independently wealthy so that's, <laughs> money's genuinely not an issue for me it, it definitely wasn't the money uh, believe me and it was all about the challenge uh, and you're right you know it took a few conversations you know uh, to 
between David and I to sort of get me here. Obviously, John was part and parcel of that uh, allure. And in the first instance, I thought, you know, why would I go from ostensibly what looks like the same sort of agency, you know, an opco within a holding group to another opco within a holding group. But again, it is the change management challenge, and that is what interests me because it has aspects of strategy and strategy formation about it. It has aspects of sort of organisational behaviour about it. It has the whole marketing piece attached to it. And it's sort of, in, you know, it's reinvigorated me. I'm genuinely feeling, you know, excited about what I'm doing. It's a chance to build a proposition sort of... Uh, how I want to build it and form the type of team I want to get to and actually sort of apply some of my own thinking to the nature of what you know the Y&R brand ought to look like. And I would say, you know, uh, the Y&R piece is much more tribal perhaps than Leah Burnett was as, as publishers have moved far more to sort of quelling their brand. And I know they talk a lot about brands still being sacrosanct as well as the power of one. My sense that is not as much the case and there's a lot of convergence going on of those brands. And in fact, I sat on the Pubcoms UK board with my direct competitors, Sarchin Publicis, and there was slight weirdness around that. Why and this is about let's build our tribe, let's be on our own mission, and the people you're chatting to on the phone when you're on a global call are your own Y&Rs. And that makes a massive difference to me. I'm a very tribal person, and, and people get attracted to working for tribes, and that's what makes you know a sort of productive company, in my, in my view. So we should, we should explain that you and John obviously did work together before at the Urbanet, and you've since hired another ex-Leo Burnett colleague, to join you yeah um how much i think jeremy's just written a piece that's in our latest issue about this this new triumvirate launching the agents uh sort of trying to to essentially relaunch the agency mm. and how much how important is it to to have that team back together is that an important part of the dynamic here i think it is i think i, th- I think you, know, you get up to operating speed a lot quicker when you know one another, because it means you can just cut through the chemistry that's already there rather than have to build one. It's a fundamentally different thing to sit in a room with Paul. And to be honest, I've not just worked with the Leobinets, we started together 25 years ago mm-hmm. at WCRS as well. Made my first ad with Paul, which is a horrible... Oh, what was that? It was for Bravo Television. It involved John Noakes licking a hairless cap. <laughs> I'd advise you to look it up. It's a strong... It's genius. It's Are you weird enough to watch was, it was the line you came up with. It was a strong piece of work, yeah. It's a vivid piece of work, yeah. It still haunts me. <laughs> but, but I think what it does, it just allows you to cut through the bullshit immediately. Because it means you can just sit there, Paul can call me an arse, and I'll never be offended by it. Yeah. Because I know that his reasons for doing so are always non-political and straight to the point to get the best out of me. So. But you did leave him I at did. Leo Burnett. I did. And you regretted that. And let, me at least, <laughs> let me at least say <laughs> my own regret rather than you leaping in and that was taking my regret from it. I did. I left, you know, if I'm going to be really honest, I, I left too soon. I left the, the marriage with Paul too soon. I'm a restless person and I've always moved to quite counterintuitive places to try and force myself to think and act in a different way and yeah. I did that slightly too soon with Paul. We so, had a great relationship and a great team when we were there and I think we were doing brilliantly well and I'm just a bit of a child sometimes and I can leap before I look. But I didn't force you, did I, to did, write a really grovelling yeah, WhatsApp maybe, yeah. message back to me which I still have <laughs> and out you with I know. on a weekly basis yes. which I do. What, what did you write? To try I'm not going to get that. That is private. Him back. <laughs> it is private but I did have I to send him, to him a really grovelling WhatsApp message. So you begged, Paul? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. To come begged. to why yes. not? Yes. Yeah, begged. I was going to riff on that in a really unpleasant <laughs> manner but I would Members that were being recorded, and I can't say off the record. So yes, yes, I did beg Paul in an unseemly fashion to try and get him to come and work with me again. So what are you trying to recreate then, or are you trying to? Recreate well, back something? on that team well, piece, there's a really you know dull piece of management theory around how you know high-performing teams actually sort of uh, 
form themselves and get to that operating temperature, if you want to call it that. And you go through these various stages, do you not, which are called forming, storming, norming, performing. So I know it sounds slightly wanky. And you have to go through those stages. And you need various sort of mechanisms to get you through that place. Everyone's super polite with each other. You get to know each other. You know, what, what are the hot buttons? How are you going to work around? And you sort of tiptoe around shit, which takes a while to get through. Then you suddenly realise you just don't agree with each other. You haven't worked each other out. And you go through very, very difficult times. Then you get to a place where you actually understand how to work as a collective. Yeah. And then you really start purring you know, forward. Now, that could easily take anything up to a year in a sort of new management team. Yeah. And when you're with people who you know and you've been through those things with, you are you are accelerated into operating temperature. And back to your original point, one, I doesn't have the time just to allow that process to happen. We need to super accelerate that. And having people that you know and you've worked with and you trust, trust is really you know, important deeply and you can have really difficult and uncomfortable yeah. conversations and John can sort of, you know, sort of call me out and shit without me thinking, hang on, there's some agenda going here and the same back at him. It allows to have those difficult, uncomfortable conversations and again, just be more productive as a team. So we, before we come on to your plans for, for Y&R, I know that you two have spoken in the past, quite a long time ago, about potentially just going and doing your own thing. You never have done that. Um, How do you know that? Who told you that? <laughs> I wonder who could have told me that. Um, so do... I've stopped drinking, by the way. That's <laughs> terrible. terrible Paul? <laughs> um... Is that never going to happen now? Are you, are you kind of trying to do it, but within uh, the, the auspices of somebody else's company? And, and why why did you never do it? Well, Robert Campbell, because now we're old, has already done the high five o thing, and you know I suppose we could do one at seventy years old or something like that. Could be interesting. Be, though, that would be interesting. Yeah, was really decrepit get... startup. Would be <laughs> exactly. Powerful. Powerful game-changing position. Well, it'd be ramps place. everywhere in the agency, <laughs> and all the windows would be bifocal, wouldn't they? And the signs would just shout, Bournemouth! At you, you, know, <laughs> you, too old? you feel you're too old? Don't, not particularly. There was a time then, which I think when there was yeah. a lot of energy around that, and it was all quite an exciting time, thinking that stuff. Who I think it often, those sorts of things are often born of dissatisfaction with your current circumstances. Yeah. I'm sure I wrote a piece years and years ago about... You know, when you get to the top and you start to sort of have these weird and warped behaviours because you're just not being sort of stimulated and fulfilled anymore. And often there are all sorts of outlets. Sometimes it's alcoholism, drugs, sex, cars. Sometimes it's going off and trying to do a startup or all together at the same time. <laughs> Obviously, that wasn't me, WPP personnel, uh, person. In any way. In any way whatsoever. And, you know, that was born of those times. This, for me, is a very similar challenge because it's a big meaty challenge as I said has everything you need in it has the commercial aspect has the people yeah. aspect I've been very very clear uh, with the David Pattons of this world which is you know I'm on a sort of three to five year gig with these guys in terms of what this reboot is going to take it is not a one year type turnout I'm just not interested in that sort of bullshit sort of milking you know milking the golden goose and being and we, super optimised and we have the remit to create something it's not it's not just sort of let's carry on let's make yeah. it a bit better we genuinely have the remit to build exactly what it is that we think of Y&R for a modern world will be and that's exciting because that's creating our own creature that just i've just ran out of words no, but <laughs> well, you, you've got your own ownership of just that, ran you, out of words. Yeah, yes. you build your own sort of you know company but with the resources you know uh, of a proper operation and exactly. a holding company behind it and that is it's almost like the perfect start i think katie lee in her piece didn't she she talked about a sort of you know a startup with backing and that's yeah. a really neat way to think about it particularly yeah. david Patton, by the way as, as the global boss, because you know him as an individual who has a fantastic client record around the work and a brilliant turnaround record with the greatest world. So he's got super credibility. He's a no-nonsense individual who just backs you, and it's absolutely it's fantastic. Great. And it 
it is, you know, it's revelatory, I think, in the holding company world. When I think of um, <clears throat> the big networked agencies that have managed to have that sort of rejuvenation, it has come from um, management teams that feel a real sense of ownership. Yeah. And it, is, it becomes personal. And you look at um, how Gray, it happened at Gray, it happened at McCann a few years ago. Um, but it does require the company to, to give you a level of autonomy um, and back to that word trust. Do you feel like you have that at YNR? Absolutely, we have that. I mean, YNR previously, YNR London, well, remember, it was called Rainy Kelly for a long time. Yeah. And it was about trying to sort of put that one to bed, a most fantastic company with an incredible pedigree of work behind it. You know, absolutely brilliant talent. There's still talent from those days there with us today, which is part and parcel of our talent proposition moving forward, etc. But the key thing is, we're no longer Rainy Kelly. We are YNR, and that is our company. And yeah. in fact, on uh, what, it was day 30 when I received my first pay packet, and I saw in my bank account it still went in as Rainy Kelly Campbell. So it's unacceptable. I got slightly arsey around it. And I know it sounds petty, but we're in a new era. We're called YNR London. This is what our company is called. Let's please change it. I don't want this happening ever again. So that, that's how personal it gets, I think. So can you tell us about Crisp Thursday I mean, as part of the changes? As part of the ownership. Part of the ownership, is, yeah. Crisp, uh, I think you've got a strong point of view. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of sort of, you know, soft culture and all those sorts of things. I'm well up for it and I am as happy as anybody else, you know, being sick through my nose at, you know, midnight with young people at a disco fake because we're having a good time, you know, and I'm a happening type of guy. So I'm fine on that front and very relaxed. But I think when you're trying to reboot a company, if something sort of slightly drifted, perhaps into a slight a level of, com- of complacency because there's not that leadership sort of galvanisation going on that, that's needed, you know, it can be easy just to sort of just turn up and do your day job and become overly obsessed with those sort of things. We have a thing called Chris Thursday, which at four o'clock every Thursday, our fantastic receptionist who's a resting actress, Gillian, you know, tootles up like something out of Acorn Antiques, you know, with a trolley full of crisps and tons of Prosecco. And the whole agency stops and goes and gorges their face on that sort of stuff. And there was a real panic uh, about an hour beforehand as people anticipate the rustle of crisp bags <laughs> and then sprint. And I think that's great. But we've also got, you know, pancake Tuesdays <laughs> and we've got fuck off early Friday as well. And my big proposition to all staff was, why don't we just do something you know, magical and have a workday Wednesday and we'll use all the other days to recover it. So, again, it's just about injecting that sense of, come on, we're all up for this, aren't we? And Let's it, make shit happen. Indeed. And yeah. make shit happen is, is quite a big value of ours. You know, nothing... Again, I, we, we, we said to start, we're not to say anything that's particularly original or that they haven't heard before because there are no particularly new answers. It's just the people who get it right, the people who just get it done. And this is about getting it done, having a next action orientation. Yeah. That's really important to us and sending the right signals. Don, tell us about the creative culture that you're, you're hoping to create. You've been there... How, how long have you been Two in years. Two years. Two years. So... Tell us about the changes you've made so far yeah. and how much further you need to go. It seems a long time since we talked about the work really coming out or talked about it positively. Um, what's, what are your plans? Well, I suppose to answer the first part of your question, um, I think a modern creative department needs to be diverse. And I don't mean that necessarily in the zeitgeist to wear diverse, but just people from a variety of backgrounds with different views upon the world. And I've been spending the last two years filling the place with those people. I mean, we've spoken before, Jeremy, about one of my latest hirings, <clears throat> a guy called Phil Clandillon. And I didn't hire him just because he's got a slightly silly surname, but I hired him because his background is so fundamentally different to mine. He comes from Sony. He ran a, a, an agency within that. And he thinks in such a different way. He doesn't understand what a tissue meeting is. 
doesn't understand any of that stuff or chemistry meetings. It's not how he works. But what he does is just get to a, a strategic and creative solution to a problem. It doesn't feel like advertising. So I've started to build a department, and I'm still on a journey with that. I won't lie to you. I reckon I'm 70% of the way there, where it's filled with people about interesting people from a variety of backgrounds who can creatively clash and build exciting, noisy work that you would talk about in a positive yeah. way. Just, just on that yeah. diversity theme, yes, because it's important, extremely important. Um, and I understand, you know, it's uh, there are many ways in which uh, you can interpret diversity and and ensure that you're getting a better balance. But uh, on the the female yes. proportion, which is really acute in creative departments, tell us mm. about the women in your creative department. So, the women, so my head of the creative department is a woman. So that's Pip Bishop. She is part of the Rainey Kelly. Uh, she's in the DNA of Rainey Kelly. She's been there for 20-odd years. I, I don't understand a scenario why one wouldn't have all ages, sexes, races, sexualities within the department because diversity is at the heart of everything that we do. So I don't have a policy of hiring boy teams. I hire individuals. So that I've got young women like... There's a fantastic young creative there called Amy who doesn't come from a normal advertising background. There's Sophie, there's Joyce, there's Pip. I would say that of full-time staff, 40% of my creatives are female. Okay, so that's but it's, definitely but that's not better than the a, industry average. Yes. Much better. Because, but because I believe in having people from diverse backgrounds. Because if you want to... I mean, obviously, the creative's job is to be empathetic, is to slip into the skin of whoever you're marketing to, so you shouldn't have to have a boy team doing boy adverts or a girl team doing girl adverts or a black team doing black adverts. That's a ridiculous way to behave. But I just think that you need a huge variety of points of view and backgrounds to make your output feel diverse. So it's just a no-brainer business decision rather than anything else, to be honest with you. So, yes. How many people have you got in your creative department? It's a small creative department of about 14. 14? 14. 14. 14. One four. Okay, so that's tiny. It's a tight creative department, yeah. So, uh, is that... But do if you, you have money creative, to if you grow take creative, and that, it... But if you take creative into design as well, yeah. obviously it's larger than that, but pure play, fully employed, individual creatives, about 14. Right. And then when you wire in creative techs as well, and that's why I thought it was interesting when I turned up, because I didn't realise you'd done that whole breaking the teams up thing, which I think is really interesting. So it's configuring different types of teams and casting in, depending on the yeah. nature of the thing. So it's a Gracie Page, who's a, so one of our creative techs, joining what you might call a more generalist team, and then joining Phil, who will try and sort of take them in a different direction, I think is a really interesting thing as well. But when you say you've only got 14... But the actual wage bill that I've got, mate, when I <laughs> devise them, it fun. looks like but yeah. mine gets I thought into we were about well, 200 Paul. people in the fucking Mine gets rolled well. into that as well, Paul, don't forget. <laughs> oh, there we go, there we go. But is, is that enough, or are you on a mission now to, mission to hire to, We're on a mission to hire, obviously. I've got yeah. five outstanding hires at the okay. moment. So it's not like, and so often we fill those with uh, freelance resources as and when we need it for particular projects. But again, we hire in a way that, I'm just trying to create a sense that you don't know a type that would work a while that there's a yeah. variety of people. Because, the, you know, the, the young creatives who come and work for me now, they're not what I would have thought of as creatives in the way that I was when I was a young man mm. at all. They make things as well as come up with ideas. They design, they film, they edit, they build stuff in a digital space. They just don't think in the same way as me, and that's thrilling. And just on that, Phil Clandelon, who's this guy out of Sony, who 
I suppose would, he's almost the director of creative tech, but he's actually yeah. a creative director as well. And he doesn't understand what tissue sessions are and what have you. He's also an anarchist, by the way. He is an anarchist. So is we're going to have to we're going to have to quash that, aren't we? <laughs> no, I think Bring he wants to change the world from the inside. He wants to change the world, but he, he sidled up to me, and he he is quite a sidler with his haircut. He's got his a strong jumper. haircut. He has got a strong haircut. I said, Lord, so I just need a tinker budget. I said, sorry, a tinker budget. I said, oh, what's that thing? I just need to buy shit and build shit and take shit apart. I said, right. What, what do you mean? What, like get a Google Home, fuck around with it, you know, sort of join up to bot sites so we can sort of run little sort of beaters and what have you. I said, oh, sure. How much do you want? He goes, oh, I'm five grand over here. All right. So he just basically signs stuff up, gets kit, takes it apart, experiments, yeah. which just wouldn't have happened, you know, at Alan Brady and Marsh in 1984 no. when I started, which I think is just interesting. Well, what's yeah. interesting is when you put him with a pip and a gym, say, Jim Bolt, my creative partner, you just get very different points of view on the world, and what comes out of that is what's exciting. Rather than going, Phil's going to go and break stuff apart and make things, and Jim will come up with lovely scripts, and people do them beautifully in just film. I mean, that's not how we work. We try and clash those different cultures together to try and make exciting things. So can you talk about some of the work that you've got coming up, or that you're particularly proud of, or that's come from this new collection Well, that's of hard, isn't it? Because I, I can't really... I can foreshadow the work, but I can't tell you the executions that are coming out before... They're released. Well, uh, what have you in the two years that you've been yeah. there? What have you done that that is the in, sort of work that indicative you want to? Of what we want yeah. To do. yeah. Okay. So I would say some of the work that we've done that is closer to where I want us to be. With and it's you know it's always difficult talking about something within the the charity realm because it's a bit wearying mm-hmm. when everything is, sits in that world. But would be the dyslexic sperm bank thing we did for Made by Dyslexia at the. Um, halfway through last year. And the reason why I'd say that's a great piece of work is because it's noisy. It's unexpected because it's not doing a, oh, isn't it sad about dyslexia? Isn't it awful living in a dyslexic world? I actually turned that into a positive and said what a brilliant thing dyslexia is because some of our greatest business leaders and creative people are dyslexic. I thought that was fundamentally brilliant strategy. And then the execution of it, of creating a sperm bank to make noise for dyslexics, was a fabulous leap. So for me, it has that inherent noise, not living in an advertising space, but a way of provoking a response, which is exciting. We need to make more and more of that work in that style. That is happening. It's just very difficult for me to sit here and go, oh, and by the way, in August, there's this thing coming out of a centre pass. It's just, I've got to keep my powder dry about those things. Although, in August, there's some beautiful work coming out of a centre pass. <laughs> by the way, I just can't quite tell you what it is when being recorded. OK. So how's the new business done? What are clients making of this... Slightly new setup on, there... on the new biz front. Yeah, I would. I think there's an immense amount of sort of uh, fondness within the industry for the brand YNR. You know, I think people want to see it do well. You know, and have always appreciated. You know, it being part of the seat. And I think that extends to the intermediaries. You know, I'm having yeah. lunch today with the observatory crew. We had the AR in on Monday. I had lunch with Debbie from uh, Isbar, etc. They're all up for it. And I think the sense from them was. Things were just a bit quiet, and I think I think you observed that that very same thing when I sort of first. It's just a bit quiet around Y&R, yeah. and for them, of course, it's quite nice having a sort of new proposition because there's sort of a window of twelve months where they'll just sort of sell it in and say, "Well, there's a new gang going on there. There's a bit of momentum. Yeah. There's going to be, of course, what you get with a new team mm-hmm. is a pile of hunger applied." Uh, to that client's particular problems because it's really important for us to be winning stuff and doing well and those energies are applied to, to the benefit of our clients. So they, they are loving that. We're getting plenty of opportunity. We've won a couple of things, uh, again, which we sort of can't really talk about mainly because they're sort of rogue states 
scrub that. <laughs> scrub that. Um, it's quite interesting. We've got a, a quite a mega pitch happening tomorrow morning where we have yes, to be in Andover morning. at 8.30 a.m., which means getting up at 5 a.m., which can be slightly frustrating. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to but that. But you're looking forward to that, so that's quite an interesting one. Uh, I think that's probably out in, in the public domain. Uh, it's quite an interesting alcohol brand sort of bubbling up. It'll be coming in sort of mid-August. So there's quite a lot of stuff going on just as, as why not. We're also rolling into this whole uh, WPP collective piece as well, which I'm, again, quite enjoying. You know, and again, think about Publicists and Power of One. All they were doing is just catching up on what WPP's been doing for about 20 years, although their optics, I think, look slightly better. But we're working with the likes of Landor and Conan Wolf and M6, no, etc. Really in at least two collectives. And it's just all very, very fluid. And I sit on the WPP UK collaboration board, uh, and Karen Blackett chairs that, and she's absolutely fantastic. As you know, we've already had two you know, major events as well, big networking events where we're sort of sharing capabilities. And so, again, that's just another stream of new biz opportunity as well, of course, the really important stuff, which is organic growth, because it is too easy just to focus all your energies on new, new biz, as it were, and I know it's reputation important, that is the sort of lifeblood and what have you. But there is a tonne a sort of money and opportunity within trying to be relevant to your clients across more yes. of their spectrum. And there's been quite a big focus from me on our business directors about opening up those sorts of opportunities, not in a horrible sort of cross-selling way, yeah. but just being sort of more available for those things. So can you give us an idea of what your growth targets are? Commercially next? speaking, yeah. I asked David Patton that. Maybe he doesn't want me to say this you know, live on radio, downloaded podcast. <laughs> um, I said, so commercially, you know, what you're looking for, uh, doubling doubling our size in the next three years? He said, um, there's no commercial target. You have no targets? No. Nope. So what, how, do they, how are they going to monitor your progress? I mean, clearly, given I've had to submit a budget, so there's always an annual budget goes on, and I have a budget which will deliver, which is growth on last year. It's pretty conservative growth, and there's a profit level there and a sort of comp ratio, etc. So there will be a budget that I'll need to be delivering against, and we will deliver that this year. But more broadly speaking, it's not like turn out and say, right, I will basically double the site. That's not the case. It will be what it will be. This year will be what it will be because, again, I'm on a sort of three to five year jack here, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and we will aim to get where we need to get to. And there's lots of work to be done, you know, in terms of sort of looking under the bonnet, fixing stuff that's gone wrong, yeah. you know, shoring up various sort of relationships with clients, getting new biz, building marketing reputation, getting new people in, all those sorts of setting the tone. And, you know, how long is that piece of string? But broadly speaking, clearly, we need to grow and we need to be profitable on our growth. That is one of yeah. my key priorities to all staff. And it's just being a bit more commercially aware and being, what we, we call it, sort of being more sort of commercially creative on behalf of our clients, but also looking out for ourselves while realising we're not just some sort of downstream commoditized supplier. Okay, so when when um, Martin Sorrell left WPP and there was a lot of, uh, and it's ongoing, a lot of discussion around the structure of WPP, and does WPP really need the number of big, cumbersome networks that it's got? And what's the difference between them? And which agency brands are going to merge? And, you know, this is the chat in the marketplace. And we know that as, a, as an agency landscape, there were too many indistinguishable bland companies doing mediocre work. And we need more agencies doing brilliant local work with local culture local personality and momentum and um energy and excitement what within within that how confident are you that there is a long-term future for the YNR network within WPP and and if you are confident about that what what is going to distinguish YNR London from the mass of other 
um, networked agencies? What's going to be the thing that marks you out as different? Well, it's interesting because, again, I, I don't think we are a lumbering network per se because, you know, fortunately we've made ourselves so small we've become a lot more agile and boutique <laughs> So I wouldn't put us in the same boat as our sort of bigger sisters. No, but part of the position of the YR network, and everyone has positioning as their bits of shtick, don't they, but is it's a global boutique. So there are differences between each of the outposts rather than saying it's a behemoth that acts in a certain way and this is our work. So there is that room to be local but still be part of a broader network. And I would also say that actually YNR as a network has a lot of flavour to it. If you look at the work that comes out of the network, one of the things I was really impressed by as soon as I started was some of the extraordinary work that it was done with McWhopper and some of the work. Like that. They do genuinely thrilling work. Yeah. So I don't think it's a a bland network. I just think, if anything, London needs to live up to the promise of the the global attitude of one. And I'm always very militant. You know, I was militant at, at Leah Burnett. You know, having come out in places like WSRS and GDT and Lowe's before that, uh, which is, I'm not interested in a global brand that basically is a sort of mothership and then puts a sort of duplicate down and a clone of itself in each market as it expands with P and G around. Not interested. A global brand is an aggregate of the powerful brands that sit there. You know, in the domestic market, each of which has its own colour. And for me, the way you differentiate, because we're a professional services firm ultimately, and it's very, very hard. I know we all have to create our shticks and our positioning so you can, you know, people can hang their hats on them, etc. And our own views about how brands and comms and the new world works, etc. You know, but it's really important uh, for, for for me that to think about the work you're doing, the people doing the work. That's what differentiates. So when you're in a chemistry meeting, when you're delivering your work, when you're building your client relationships, it's the work you're doing and the people that are doing the work. And you know, we are mega different on that from the JWT crew, from the Grey crew, with from the CHI. We're just a very different group of people. And you know, and again, if you look back at Publicity Group, you know, I worked at Burnett. I would never see ourselves as the same sort of company as Asachi or a Publicist. We're just very, very different and distinctive uh, personalities. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I don't have that problem at all. Although I do concede, I think clients out there who, who don't, you know, aren't as into all the nuances, what have you, will see it as oh, we've already got a network agency on that list and that is a that is a big yeah. challenge for us to make damn sure we're not seeing that way and that's about getting intermediaries on side and just making sure we're breathing that colour you know that personality colour that work colour that way of working colour into our sort of offering okay well good luck with that thank you it wasn't even passive aggressive <laughs> I was just basically <laughs> aggressive before we before we wrap up um, you two clearly have a brilliant relationship um uh but you're both extremely rude to each other as well and have been um very playfully rude about each other in print and we love reading about it when you uh, have a poke at each other in campaign what's the what's the what's the rudest thing that john's ever said about you well, it's, it's really been, basically it's public bullying, and I'd like to be on record here saying, it's, and it's actually campaign that's facilitated <laughs> this uh, two-decade-long campaign. And I really appreciate that, me. and I would always appreciate that. As I go that. home at night and cry gently into my sort of nylon sheets. What is the thing I've said about uh, puffy sunburnt nipples, yeah, the puffy nipples <laughs> storming the stage to rugby tackle Martin Sorrell. I mean, that was just one of your weird. The list things. goes on. It's just basically unacceptable. I tell you what's even worse because I always take it in sort of you know in good faith. It's not like you don't strike back. By the way, you're sitting there acting the victim. <laughs> I do think it's funny, but I've now worked out perhaps why my career has gone into certain sort of you know uh, cul-de-sac because when David Patton was interviewing me. When he first knew, he said, yeah, yeah, I was trying to headhunter. 
And I didn't realise that you and John got on well together. I said, oh, what, what gives you that impression? I said, well, all those horrible things you saw. <laughs> Fucking hell. The market thinks it's true. <laughs> that it really, true. really... And I had to say to him, no, it was a joke. Um, so, yes, uh, it's all just really horrible. You're yeah, just a is. really unpleasant individual, basically. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea why I've rejoined him. Because um, I bullied you into it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> exactly. We take great pleasure in uh, the banter between the two of you. And, uh, you know, we need more laughs in our industry. So keep it up. Thank you both so much. Good luck. Um, we are egging you on because, as I said, we need more better agencies in London. Um, YNR has a fantastic heritage, particularly through the Rainy Kelly uh, brand. And although that is no more, I hope that the, the spirit of that brilliant um, type of agency persists through the new YNR London. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Thank you.